Hey, you found me, and I'm so glad you did. I have a lot of fun over here at A Juicy Pear Podcast. I love interviewing people from all walks of life, and I especially like what makes a person tick. I ask the questions that people want to hear. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Wendy with the Juicy Pear Podcast, and I'm super excited about our guest today. His name is Craig Randall. He's a writer and a poet. He has quite a bit of uh, amazing books out there, and I'm so excited to talk to him today. Hey, Craig. How's it going, Wendy? I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your vacation to come on uh, my show. I appreciate that. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell me yeah, a little bit about yourself and um, how you got on here? Uh, thank you. I apologize for the noise. Uh, I bet there's lawn mowing going on outside. Oh, I don't hear nothing. You're good. Um, My name is Craig Randall. Uh, So uh, I'm an English teacher, uh, reading and writing instructor, taught everything from like remedial high school, middle school English, all the way to AP honors, kind of college level literature. I've been doing that for about 15 years. Always loved stories, always loved just film books. I'm just consuming everything as much as possible. I just love stories. And I love what I've learned about myself in life in reading and teaching stories. As long as I've loved stories, though, I've always had this kind of lean towards anxiety and depression, something that I never really understood until my adult years. And uh, we were chatting a little bit before the podcast. I wasn't until I was about 27 years old. Like I just always, I would wake up and just always feel down and in a funk and terrible and always had to kind of put myself in a better place uh, to kind of get through the day. Until I was 27, had our first child. And then a little bit later in the second child was on the way that I was reading through some stuff, trying to understand a little bit of why I felt so overwhelmed. And, and it finally admitted that I struggled with anxiety and depression. Um, which I was talking to one of my family members yesterday about just even that admittance, even that idea of, you know, labeling is not always a bad thing. Right. But like understanding right. like, oh, this is what this is. Started the last 10 years of, of what I call like it gives clarity. It gives direction. Uh, started a long process of, of healing that brought me to writing the books and, and being here. And the books were were probably the single most incredible, propulsive mm-hmm. um, way to get to where I am today, which is really exciting. Well, fabulous. So kind of an accidental author. I didn't mean to get... No, but I, I've heard that and it, it is very... Well, I know that it is very therapeutic just to have a journal and to write out your thoughts and feelings. And, you know, with the mental health component today, um, I think it's a lot... Back then... You know, they really didn't have a lot for people with anxiety and depression. It really wasn't talked about a heck of a lot. It's getting better. I mean, it still could be improved upon, but I think people are starting to realize um, not everyone fits in the same box. You know, just get over it or, you know, oh, figure it out. Well, you know, people's feelings are valid. And sometimes there isn't. She just pulled together depending on you. Right. I know. It, it's and so I think it's getting better. It still could be approved upon, but at least people are focusing on that more and there seems to be more help out there. What do you think? I would 100% agree. Uh, I mean, I think one of the reasons I, even after I admitted to myself that I struggle with anxiety and depression, the last thing I was ever going to do is tell other people. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, and that was 10 years yeah. ago. And I feel like the conversation's completely. Yeah. I mean, even. Um, I think even pre-COVID, it was the conversation was widening in my in the back of my head, always looking for the silver lining and ray of sunshine. Um, I think one of the benefits of COVID was that 
more people experience something that millions of people had already been experiencing. And right. I think hopefully opened the door for a lot of empathy. Um, yeah. I noticed that when I was, I was living in Europe four years, I noticed it a lot there. And in the U.S., as as the divide is clear, it's interesting because certain pockets, it's very clear. Okay. Other pockets, it's it feels like it's still like, oh, this is a new subject here still. So right. it's interesting having to know that line. That is cool. I mean, how interesting. Because it's interesting yeah. even Because you said you lived in Amsterdam yeah. for four years. That's interesting in itself. You got to tell us about that. Yeah. What your experiences was there. <laughs> it, was, it was an adventure. We, yeah. My wife and I had had moved our children to this smaller town kind of in the middle in in the, where Oregon State University is Corvallis, Oregon. Uh, I love that place. I grew up going there. And even when we moved abroad, that was home to my children, even though we only lived there for a couple of years. Yeah. We, my wife and I thought we were moving there to retire. Like we're not in here. This is amazing. Uh, right. But then we had an opportunity to go help start a international school in Amsterdam. We just, we can't turn that down. We no. got to go adventure. Oh, that's amazing. Um, it was awesome. And it was just like the the work-life balance was unlike anything I'd ever experienced. Uh, the overall idea wasn't to go, 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 work, 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 build, yeah. build, build, or good things. But they're like, yeah, 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 work, but, but live. Exactly. Like your life, even at work, you're more important than your productivity here. Because if your life is well, your productivity will be higher. Yeah. It's just a different... A different mindset over there. Understanding of certain completely different mindset, which is what led me in that mindset. I had never thrived like that in my life um, in that environment. And I was like, okay, I went on medication for my anxiety at about 29. And there was at 35, 34, in the middle of my time in Amsterdam. And I talked to my wife and my doctor. And I was like, I think I, I think it's safe to kind of go down off the meds. Yeah. And I'd been going to, I'd seen a psychologist, read books, I'd done exercises, I'd, had, I'd seen a therapist, and I'd kind of built this kind of line. You know, mm-hmm. we have like pathways, right? My whole life, I built this incredibly negative thinking pattern. And then I'd spent years rebuilding it. I was like, okay, that thinking pattern is in place. Let's yeah. stay broad. And the doctor always, I always, you know, do this with a doctor's encouragement. <laughs> and they're like, let's, yeah, let's take the meds down. And then it's just reinforcing those positive mental mindsets. And yeah. unfortunately, which works for a lot of people, Fortunately, it didn't work very well for me. And I just split in half again. Um, and then, uh, oh, and then COVID happened. It was super uh, fun. So when that yeah. happened, do you just feel like you just want to be alone and you don't want to be around anybody and you just need time to yourself? Or when you say split in yeah. half, what does that mean? Split in half. Um, imagine... I'm a visual person, which is where the poetry come from, came from. It's like in my head, if whereas most of my life, there was kind of this dark black and white world in my head, you know, assumed sure. light, but I couldn't really see it. Like the sun was just ripped out. The ground is ripped in half. And I just slipped right into a hole that I couldn't get out of. And you couldn't find your way uh, out nothing, of it. Couldn't find my way out. I mean, in, in my in my mind's opinion, intellectually, I understood that things would eventually get better, but hope was gone. Um, okay. and I, you know, you have to go to work, you have to function, but that was really hard. Right. Um, but being alone is key. It's terrible because when you're alone, you spin, but I didn't want to be around anybody else for how it would impact them. Yeah. There, my world was on fire, but 
I didn't want to set everyone else's on fire. Did this start when you were like, um, when you were a young man, when you were a boy, did you um, start having anxiety or depression issues or was this kind of more like? No, it was, it was always there. Okay. Uh, in hindsight, when I, that's a great question, right? Because I think the interesting thing about mental health, and, and you alluded to this even before we started recording, was the idea of uh, it's kind of different for everybody, right? Yes. Um, everybody, every we. I mean, most people can can. Uh, one of the empathetic and encouraging things is even with from radically different circumstances. If somebody opens up and starts sharing, generally people can relate to the feelings, right? Mm-hmm. Can relate to what it's like. But the reasons, you know, even therapy and my psychologist. You know, you have to be able to almost... You have to experience it to have true empathy. I I allude to that in one of my books. I don't know. True empathy, I feel, is felt when you have had a significant... If you've had some bad things happen in your life and you've had to get through them yourself, and then I think that's when you can truly feel empathy for somebody else. Yeah. My lofty goal for my novel, The Doom That Came to Astoria, A, I started writing it because I thought, oh, journaling and writing is therapeutic, so I'm going to write. I've never liked journaling. So, and as an English nerd, I was like, what if I just wrote a story? Mm-hmm. So I started writing a book as a way to kind of process through my experiences. As soon as I realized I gave it to my wife and a couple of friends and they were like, whoa, there's a cool story here, Craig. And like, yeah. there's some things happening that are really exciting funky and messy needs in my, you know, and I knew it needed a lot of work, but, and then it was like, Oh, and then one of my, I only gave it to people that I trusted that knew. Cause at right. that point in my life, I didn't tell people what I was struggling with because you couldn't at that time. Right. Right. Um, because people were anxious or just, or depressed. People just thought you were weird or broken or, right. um, which is a shame. As soon as I realized that it was going to maybe that I would try to self publish it at least, or get out there. My lofty goal became, it was that empty empathy piece. I was like, okay, I want to write this in a way that people who have experienced it will just breathe easy thinking, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, somebody knows how I feel. Mm -hmm. So really get it. Exactly. Which the greatest, I think, triumph of the experience, the writing of it so far, put it out in the world is how many people have actually said that. Like I've had students or people I've never met personally outside of like Instagram or just people around going, like I, in my DMs, this is the greatest part of the process is waking up and seeing a message in my DMs. It just says, you wrote a story that expresses how I feel. And I didn't know how to express. I don't know. It's just, Aww. that was awesome. The other side of that coin was how many people in my life that loved me and were trying to help me by encouraging me to just get over the feelings, yeah. but had no idea what it was like, had no idea. You can't just tell somebody who's in a pit of anxiety to turn it off because right. if you don't know how to, if you knew how to turn it off, you would have already done it. That's right. So I wanted yeah. to write a story that other people who had never experienced it, if they read it, they would go, Oh, that's what it's like. Okay. So this is cool. Now, when you started this, did you know it was going to be a trilogy in the beginning? No. Okay. Okay. So how do you get your flashes of inspiration? I, mean, I feel like when I write my yeah. books, I, I get so much inspiration from anything that I have to really reel it in because I've, I've been told I got quite the imagination. So I got to at some point have some boundaries and have some, some sort of like uh, um, rules, I guess. And I'm really not a rule person <laughs> at yeah, all. I'm so, with you. Yeah. I think you and I are very similar in many ways. In <laughs> yeah. That regard. Um, 
Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. I my wife is the first person who whatever Jenny will read anything that I write as like my soundboard and we've come up with a code and she's always like, I don't want to make you feel bad. And I was like, just, this is writing. Just I gotta, be brutal. You know, gotta yeah. Be brutal at this part. I'll tell you when to be, you can't be, but right, you can right. be brutal. She's like, cool. Okay. So I want you to say the same thing, but instead of 10 pages, do it in like half a page. And I'm like, Oh, half a page. So, oh man. That'd be hard for with. Yeah. Narrowing she, down. Yeah, she's, she's a concise, like nonfiction person. So, um, it never, it normally sits at like five. <laughs> okay. Um, but most of my inspiration, I think comes from personal experience, mm-hmm. um, for the stories, at least like sure. every, all the locations in all three books are all real places. They're all real places. I've been so familiar with them. Okay. Uh, and then the theme thematically, the situations are thematically all just parallels of, of my own journey. Like when I read through is Charlie West is the main character's name. When I, when I read through, or people who know me personally read through these books, I'm like, I've had a couple of really close friends. They're like, oh my gosh, I can see like what you're doing. Like Charlie West is a kid who grew up in very different background circumstances from mine. Like my, my dad was not physically abusive at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and like my mom read the book and she goes, what's up with this mom care? She could tell it was me in the story. And then mm-hmm. we had to have this conversation of like, his mom is not you. Um, I just yeah. needed certain things. So like the yeah. foundation of a story is real life, but then, you know, you, then you fictionalize it, right? You sensationalize it. And yeah. it's like, okay, this, this little thing is true, but I need to crack it in half and then raise it to about 10 to kind of propel certain things. Right. But it's very autobiographical in other ways. Charlie West is a kid who grew up in, in just feeling pretty shattered in Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And then he was given a job in Astoria, Oregon, or Napa, Oregon, right outside Astoria, Oregon, to go teach literature. That was me. I was a kid that grew up feeling broken and shattered in Portland, Oregon. And then I moved to Astoria to teach at this little neighboring town. Okay. So the story started from my actual real life. If I was, if I knew it was going to get published, I probably would have written it. I would have masked my own experiences more. No, uh, it's it's good to have your own experiences in there. I find yeah. too. Do you like with your characters in your book? Do you use real people, or are they a figment of your imagination, uh, or are they a little both? Because I know what I do. I do. What do you <laughs> I, do? What I, about? What I've done both. I always ask, so especially my second book. There's a couple people in there that are based on real people, and I ask, and I change situations and scenarios and names and things like that. But it's really fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there and there's there a couple. There's a couple characters that I've totally you know made up, just made up completely and that's fun too right. so i kind of pepper in both oh that's int- that's cool yeah. that's cool i yeah i with with this first book i intentionally did not copy anybody mm-hmm. except for myself especially because i lived in astoria oregon for seven years and i know a lot of people there yeah and you gotta be careful characters aren't yeah. painted yeah like what i did though is there were certain I wouldn't call them truths, but I would call them realities of okay. growing up in certain areas. Right. So part of, part of me was tackling not even social justice, but like problems. I was just, you know, I was a high school teacher in these two small, I taught at Napa high school and Astoria, which Fantastic. both were incredible experiences. A lot of wonderful humans. Uh, I was shattering and crushing from the weight of my overextension the whole time, but oh. I look okay, back yeah. on both times with fondness. Yeah. 
But one of the things that always broke my heart is these are both very small, impoverished communities, right? And it always shattered me that like how many like fifth generation impoverished kids just like didn't it's almost like there were just wasn't really opportunities for them yeah so most of these kids about half of the kids they would just graduate from high school there weren't jobs but they weren't culturally encouraged to leave to go find a job jobs exist out in the world right right, but not there and their parents would get upset at me for encouraging them to try to go to college or move oh wow to where you know they could build a life I got yeah. yelled at Uh-oh. a year by somebody. Like, why did you tell my kid they have to leave here? I was like, well, there's no jobs for them here. And 50% yeah. of the kids graduate and just pick up a drug habit. Right. So there are two characters in the first book who intentionally their, their own conflict is the fact that there's nothing else for them. So because of that, they get swept into working for this organization and they're good people, but they end up doing terrible things. Sure. But it's not because they're not wonderful humans. It's because there's no other option. And so yeah. I, I tried to reflect what I saw as an unfortunate reality. What genre yeah. would you call these books? What genre would you say it would be in? Well, it's, it, it's a, that's an interesting, I've been thinking about that a lot. Um, I think I would lean towards, I've been marketing them as kind of horror because okay. as you talked about, the other part of the inspiration was these old 20th century horror stories with these crazy kind of creatures in them and, and yeah. the suspense, blah, blah, blah. But horror, and this is weird because horror is a weird term now because the definition has changed. And as a literature teacher, I can't help, I can't let go of classical definitions of terms. Okay. So yeah. I, I would call it a classical horror story but when you say horror now it it's a little bit different because they think yeah. it's bloody gruesome and gross right like maybe thriller like, how about a thriller yeah it is i would say it's a it's a psychological suspense thriller with a supernatural lean yeah um, cool that sounds a lot so. like and my it, book yeah <laughs> well, uh, i have your books it's on my tbr list oh sweet uh, oh my it. gosh i would love your opinion on my books i would love it i, I mean if you like it you know yeah, yeah. No, and i'm excited I, I, yeah, my goal was to read it before this, but I know. Gosh, Same summer. here. I bought yeah. your poetry book. Oh, I haven't that. read the whole thing, but what I um read I really loved. I thought it was very insightful and poignant and beautiful. But I want to read the whole thing before I give Thank it to you. But I, I love what I've read so far. Hey, yeah. And I do want to get you. your that books. Charts, I was gonna say that charts the journey we've been talking about. Like uh the that book specifically. There's three there's gonna be three poetry books. And that one is okay. literally about the crash, like that chaos. The first section you probably read, chaos, yeah. is that was all written when I was in the bottom of that pit. Uh, so yeah. the, all of those poems are actually published, except for one, all those poems are published chronologically, my own healing journey. You can get some really good stuff out of hitting rock bottom and uh, of being in the darkness. You can get some really good stuff. That's the good side of it. But the bad side is, you know, you're experiencing that and you, you feel have to experience it, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. No, Absolutely. I I hear you there. Yeah, I've I grew up on a summer resort on a lake resort in a small town in Wisconsin and my parents had this wonderful mm-hmm. resort and there was some interesting things that happened. They had these huge parties. And I remember being a little girl bumping into all these people and thinking there was just a wonderful energy there. But as well, there was also a paranormal premise. Um, There were some 
things that happen. So I thought that would make a neat premise for the book, um, A Gray Resort. So, you know, isn't it hard being a writer? It feel, I mean, I like it. I had, I was like under the influence that, oh, shoot, you know, when, when you've published your book, that's it. But it's like, oh, no, that's not it. You got to do this marketing and you, you know, it's like a sort of a fine line. You got to keep yourself relevant and out there, but yet you don't want to be annoying. And it's like just this balance and it's like, oh my goodness, (laughs) I don't know. That is, that is an interesting, and that's, that's the part that you hear um, so many people getting discouraged about myself included. I've been discouraged. Well, I had doom came out last August, but then my publisher at the time butchered certain things and they didn't publish the final draft. So I pulled it. It was brutal. Oh, And there was so much momentum building up to it. Right. So all these people, it was super flattering because a lot more people than I thought bought the book. But then I didn't even get a copy of it myself. I didn't see what was released until like a month after when it finally got to me in Amsterdam. I had to buy it from Amazon. My publisher didn't even send me a copy. Oh, is this a traditional publisher? Hybrid. Okay. Uh, And they didn't even, oh my word. Don't go with them again. It was just a heinous process. Yeah. Oh, ever. No, they don't exist anymore. Okay. Um, Another two, three other writers left them before I even got my book published. One called me and said, hey, man, they're just dropping the ball. It's like, I know, but it's coming out next week. Oh, my word. That is so uh, nerve wracking. I bet you. Oh, my gosh. I I went back. I was already in recovery and COVID was happening. And then that happened and I just lost it. There's nothing worse to having your private, beautiful work and then you trusting it and you're putting it in the hands of someone that you trust and then they totally screw it up. There's nothing worse. But you bounce back from it. Absolutely. You have to. Yeah. Well, I guess you don't have to, but you choose to. You need. I I wanted the work to get back out. My wife and I started, I toyed around with trying to go traditional publishing and getting an agent. Yeah. Not hybrid. I just needed to do that or independently self-publish it. Yeah. And because the book had already been out and had been received well, and I had already written the sequel to both the novel and the poetry book, I was like, okay, I've got four things ready to come out. If I go traditional, it might take a long time. So that's why my wife and I started our own little publishing company. We call it Switchboard Publishing because it oh, connects wonderful. people. Like, and then we've and then we were able to get Doom back out in May. And then the, To Chase the Sun came out in June. Doom sequel comes out in probably late October, early November. Okay. And then the sequel to the post book will come out in, on the first day of spring. Fantastic. Probably. I love this. There is a lot of shysters out in the writing world, isn't there? I, I was really surprised at the amount of cockroaches that would come out from underneath these rocks. I, I couldn't believe it. I probably get maybe, I mean, not that they're all, but the majority of them really just are in it to get money. And just to suck you dry with, um, you know, take all your creative stuff. And I, I get calls probably, I don't know, maybe two or three a week from different agencies and different people that want this and want that and pl- promise the world. And, you know, I'll do this for you and that for you. And you really got to be smart about it because it's it's kind of hard, difficult to sort through the smoke and mirrors because there's a lot of it out there. I was surprised. I, I couldn't believe how much of that there was, but there is. Same, especially because my experience, you know, I didn't get into writing necessarily for the sake of publishing and writing. For me, it started as a healing process. And it was yep. o- it was only by being pushed past the terror by friends saying, you need to send, you need to find right. a way to get these poems in the public because they can encourage people. That's right. the only reason I started my Instagram account was okay. that like, okay, 
I, I'm, I can be a fairly shameless person. So I'm like, I have no problem putting myself out there. Sure. And you have to helps in this. Yeah. Process. You have to do you, you want to get your books yeah, out you, there, your creator, and you, you need to get it out there. I was talking to a family member yesterday and they're like, Oh my gosh, I just wanted to say, I was impressed with just put you are so vulnerable in this book. You just, you put that out there and that's you. And I had to take a step back and be like, Oh yeah, most people wouldn't do that. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, when you go, when you do that, you're going all in. I mean, you really are, you know, I mean, every day I check, did I get a new review on Amazon? I check all over. I check Goodreads. I mean, you're putting yourself out there. Anybody can say whatever, but the reward is, you know, we get to do what we get to do, right? It's fun. Absolutely. And it's very rewarding. Yeah. Why don't you tell people where they can get your books? You kind of said your second one was coming out end of October. Give yourself a plug where yeah. people can find you and your books. Oh, thank you. Uh, you I, you can find me specifically and get uh, updates and kind of join the journey uh, at Instagram at Craig Randall Writing. And then I also have, uh, I just started about a month ago once both books were out, finally, a newsletter. Super fun to kind of put together. And, you know, you can only do so much in a short Instagram post, but it's right. been really, um, I've always wanted to start a blog about the process too. And a lot of people, once people, people have gotten to know me hear about the poetry and the books. Uh, I've had a, a couple of friends like, I love your book, man, but I love the story behind the book. Yeah. And how much they kind of enrich each other. So I've got about, I've got dozens of blog posts of just little snapshots of that story and got a lot of really cool feedback from the, from the first one that I, that I shared on the newsletter. But if you could go to my Instagram page and join the newsletter or contact me and I can throw you in there. It's like, I just released the title and the subsection titles of the second poetry book on my newsletter. It'll come probably months down the road in okay. the rest of social media world. But the books, um, you can get all the books on Amazon. It will be on Barnes and Noble. I've just been busy, but also you can order any of them through any bookshop. So that's what I always encourage people. You know, writers, I think, make money off of the digital world. But uh, like, you know, like it's, I always thought it was funny that we make more money off of the digital, like Kindle or Nook copies. But I still always encourage people, go buy the book through your local bookshop because then you can support everybody. Exactly. So wherever you are in the, in the world, you can order it through your local bookshop. And most of my good friends have done that, actually. Cool. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for taking time out of your vacation to talk with me. And um, I really appreciate it. And I love that you're so transparent with mental health and things and how you became a writer. Thanks for having me. Take care of yourself and you have a good one. Thank you too. Thank you for listening, and I'm so glad you're here. I had so much fun and hope you enjoyed this episode. To hear more episodes, please subscribe to my website, ajuicypairpodcast.com. See you there. Hey, I'm your host, Wendy, and you just listened to another episode of a Juicy Pear Podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. And I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Each week, I have new content, and I love talking with creatives. Tell your friends and family. And if you're feeling led, hey, you can buy me a coffee on ajuicypairpodcast.com.